The Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Uh, and it starts out with after these things. So I just kind of want to clarify some backstory here. Uh, it was back in chapter 12, so a while ago, that God first approached Abram about uh, being a great nation. And then just previous to this, to this reading, uh, Lot, who is uh, Abram's nephew, Lot was captured. Um, and so Abram went in and, and rescued him. This was before the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing. But Lot was captured. Abram went in and rescued him. Um, and then Melchizedek, which is a priest of God, uh, came and blessed Abram, Abram for doing this. And then Abram tithed you know, the 10% of whatever he captured. And then comes our reading. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering for your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Again, a little backstory. So just previous to this, uh, Jesus was doing the parable of the rich fool. He was talking to a big crowd of people. And now Jesus is going to take that teaching a little bit farther, just specifically with his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, Philippians 2, uh, 14 through 18. There's a, 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 a pattern that's emerged uh, as, uh, that I've noticed as we've been reading through Philippians uh, the past few months. And if you're visiting with us this morning, that's what we've been doing. We've been uh, reading uh, consecutively through Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 14 this morning. And the pattern is, and you guys, if you've been here for the whole time, or if you've been reading Philippians lately, you'll notice this too. Uh, the suffering of the Christian uh, is important. It's not something that, uh, it's, it's not a sign that things are going wrong. It's a sign that God's in charge, actually. Suffering of the Christian is necessary for the spreading of the message that Jesus is in control of everything. The message that Jesus is Lord is connected to our suffering. As Christians, you can't separate the two. That's the second thing that's uh, that's in Philippians two is this the the, the God, we, we call it the gospel. Shorthand is the gospel. It's the announcement that Jesus now rules and reigns over everything in the universe since He has died and risen from the dead. Uh, the third thing is uh, Christian unity. Uh, because this is the case, because Jesus is Lord of everything, it means that we as believers are to be one with each other. Paul says this several times, says at the end of chapter 1. He says at the beginning of chapter 2, uh, be one with each other, so be humble. Uh, don't seek your own, but seek the things of others. Uh, have this mind amongst yourselves in, in, in unison that you have in Christ Jesus. And um, this is a part of the gospel. These three things, Christian suffering, the necessity of Christian suffering, the importance of Christian unity, the proclamation that Jesus is in charge of everything. For Paul, these three things are inextricably tied up with each other. The Christian, the, the unity of the Christian church is a sign that the gospel is real, that Jesus is Lord. And the message, the way that that message gets out to people is through the suffering of the Christian church. These three things go together. You can't have one without the other. And so uh, that brings us to our message this morning. Uh, that Paul has for us from Philippians 2, 14 through 18. You remember last week he ended up with, so this is big stuff, right? I mean, this, uh, it, the, Paul, of course, is interested in the gospel going out. He himself is a part of that. He, at this moment, as he says in chapter 1, is chained to a soldier of the imperial guard who has the privilege of hearing the gospel straight from Paul's mouth 24-7. Paul's suffering, being chained to that imperial guard, is the way that this is happening. Paul's a part of that. He knows that this is hard stuff. Not just Christian suffering, but unity in the Christian church. This is almost impossible for us to actually be one with each other. And so Paul says uh, last week, verses 12 and 13, do this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, be one with each other, participate in the sufferings of Christ by embracing these sufferings as a way to share his gospel message with everybody. Because, he says, it's God who's working in you. God who is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. This is, this is a work of God, this whole thing, right? So this brings us to this morning, which he goes right into verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm poured out to be, if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, let's look at verse 16 first. Paul says uh, he wants us to hold fast to the word of life 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what is the word of life? When the Bible uses, when the Bible talks about the word, like the word of God, which I think that word of life is shorthand for word of God here, uh, usually means uh, uh, several different things. One, when it talks about God's word, it just means, and this is super basic, right? It means God's communication. There is a God who is there and who has chosen to communicate with us. That's important. So we'll talk more about this as not today, but in upcoming weeks. The fact that God speaks is the only reason that we're here. God is unknowable. God is so utterly different than us. Not just categorically, but now because we've sinned and fallen from Him, there's a barrier of ignorance and chosen willfulness to not know God that stands like a brick wall between us and Him. And if we're going to know Him, it's not going to be because... He's somehow discoverable by human reason, or that he's this formula that you can figure out, or prove it to me. And somebody can give you like the 14 proofs for the existence of God, and you hear those 14 proofs, and you're like, okay, I get it. Now I know God. The only way that you and I are going to know God is if God speaks, if God has a word that comes to us. And he does, thankfully. So in the broad sense, when God speaks and communicates to us, we can talk about that as the word of God in the Bible. But also, in a more narrow sense, this is God's word. The word of God that has been written down for us is also the way that we come in contact with God. It's the way that he speaks to us. More narrowly, but actually closer to the heart of what it means to be listening to God's word is Jesus is the word of God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14 says, in the word... The Word of God became flesh. It became a physical thing and came and lived with us. God's Word took on human form and lived with us. So when Paul says, I want you to hold fast to the Word of life, he means I want you to hold fast to Jesus. And I want you to hold fast to the Gospel message in which you receive Jesus. Don't abandon either of these things. Don't abandon Jesus or the message of Jesus. So that in the day of Christ... By the day of Christ, he means, I don't have time to really argue for this, but day of Christ, just trust me on this one, I guess. Day of Christ means the day when Jesus returns, when the Messiah comes back and puts all things to right. On that day, Paul says, I want to be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. I worked real hard to plant that church in Philippi, Paul says. I worked real hard to preach the gospel to you guys. I don't want on the last day to be like, well, that was a waste of time. I should have gone on to Thessalonica, or I should have headed south to Corinth earlier. I want to know that when I preached the gospel, that it worked, that you guys believed and bore fruit, and that other people believed, and then later on other people believed. I want to know that that's the case. Even if, he says in verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Why does he say that I'm willing to be a drink offering? A drink offering in the Old Testament is an offering of drink. You would bring wine or some sort of valuable beverage that you had, and the priest would pour it out. It would, it would just to pour. Do you guys remember that story too? Here's another example. Do you remember that story uh, where David is talking to David's on the run from Saul, and he's talking to his friends, and he's like, "I, I wish that I could have just one drink of water from that one well in my hometown of Bethlehem." But it was behind enemy lines. And like a handful of his soldiers hearing him say this, like snuck behind enemy lines, risked their lives, 
to get like a bucket of that water from that well in Bethlehem and brought it back to him. And I don't know if this would tick them off or not, but he takes the bucket and he pours it out on the ground and says, I can't drink this. This is the blood of my friends who sacrificed their life for this. I can't. It would be wrong for me to drink this. I'm pouring it out as a drink offering. That's a drink offering. That's kind of what Paul is saying here too. Drink offering is never the main offering. Drink offering is always a part of some other offering, usually uh, some sort of meat offering or a grain offering. And it sort of accompanied it. It sort of aided the main offering. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I I, I am willing to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Church in Philippi, church in St. James, your faith is the offering which you are presenting before God. I do not mind, Paul says, myself being wasted away like that bucket of water that David poured out. I don't mind if Jesus totally dumps my life out on the ground if it can accompany and aid your faith. So this is, again, what Paul is doing. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying to the church at Philippi, like, I'm in prison and you guys are all worried and upset about me and you're praying that I'll be released and you're praying that I won't be manacled to this guy anymore and that I'll be comfortable. And actually, this is what I want. I want my life to be poured out for you. I want my life to be poured out for the glory of God. This this is astounding. I hope that you guys are hearing this. I know that I'm saying it with all kinds of religious speak, which makes it hard to get behind it. I'm saying it in a pulpit in church. But, But think about this mindset that Paul has. Just pause just for a second here. And think about this mindset that Paul has, which says, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I'm willing for my life to be wasted away. I'm willing to be in prison. If it helps you out, I'm willing to be nothing. I'm willing to be thought of by the entire world as a fool if it aids your salvation. So be happy. You should be happy for me, he says, at the end of verse 17. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You should be happy for me, and you should be happy yourself because this is the the plan of the Christian life, which brings us back to verse 14 and 15. Go back up there, uh, back to the beginning. All these sort of big themes, and then you have, you know, the themes of Christian unity, suffering for Jesus, our, our, our sufferings being joined up with Christ's sufferings. And then in verse 14, you have this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And it seems sort of mundane. Like, don't, don't, don't grumble or dispute. First of all, that word dispute there is kind of unfortunate. Um, the, these words grumble and dispute have to do with complaining or with arguing or with wanting your own way instead of other people getting their own way. And now you're starting to see how this meshes with uh, verses 1 through 11, right? This, be humble, don't insist on your own way, but be like Jesus, who although he was God, didn't fight to retain his godnessness, but willingly gave it up and took upon himself the form of a slave and was made in likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, which Paul just told us to do, humble ourselves, Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. So, grumbling has to do with like, the word is a word for outside complaining, outside arguing, trying to get your own way. That word uh, disputing there, it's unfortunate. It's, it's the word for internal. Like, I don't like that. I don't like them. I, I want my own way. I don't like what they're doing. So whether it's inside or out, inside yourself or outside of yourself, externally in your words and your actions or internally in your thoughts, don't grumble, don't complain, 
Don't insist on your own way. Don't insist on being in charge. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So here's the main point, right, in verse 15. Why do you do all things without grumbling or disputing? Verse 15, so that in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, you may shine as lights in the world. How does this work? So I'll tell you a story about myself. A lot of you, not all of you, but a lot of you know that uh, um, 10 years ago, I drove a mass transit bus. And uh, there was a decision while I worked there uh, to put cameras inside the bus. And we were told by the bus company that this is to protect us from lawsuits. So, you know, people will get on the bus and then they'll fake fall down and then they'll say, I'm going to sue the bus company for hurting me. And so we're going to put these cameras on there. And uh, the bus driver's union said to the bus company, okay, okay, we do not want you to use those cameras to punish bus drivers for making driving mistakes. And the bus company said, no, 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 that's not what it's for. It's to protect us. But sure enough, they, that's what they started using it for, uh, to punish uh, drivers for making driving mistakes. In fact, I'll tell you this real quick story. Um, I, uh, I had a passenger one time who called in and said, my bus driver got cut off by somebody, and they, they really handled the bus well and kept everybody safe. I, I moved to a different line. It was something like it was something that anybody would do. It's not, it wasn't anything fancy. So they watched the, they watched that video to give me a commendation, and then the supervisor brought me into her office and said, "Here's a commendation. This is going to go in your record that uh, you did this, uh, whatever you, you you did this uh, good maneuver to keep the bus safe, and, and also you're suspended for three days because half hour before that we were watching the video when we went to check up on this, and we saw that you ran a red light, and so." Uh, <laughs> everybody hated this. Everybody hated this, right? So I complained like crazy about that. I got suspended because somebody called in and said I was a good driver and they used the video. And I complained and everybody else complained. Nothing ever happens, right? Uh, What was I doing by complaining about that? What I was saying is the same thing that I'm saying uh, when I get upset with anybody, either externally or internally. I was saying the same thing as I say when Angela and I have a disagreement and I say inside my head, I say, well, she's wrong, and uh, she's going to have to come and tell me that she's sorry. And when she does, then I, I will talk to her. And I'm sure she's thinking the same thing, right? Uh, it's, this, this, it's this notion that if I was in charge, this is not the way things would be. If everything would be exactly like I want it to be, everything would go better. Now, what, what we're all saying now is, okay, yeah, I mean... So grumbling and complaining, that's not nice, but we all do it, right? And it's not that big of a deal. But when I say, but when in my head, I, I think the thought that if I was in charge of this bus company and I could make the rules and everything would be better, or if I, if I could convince Angela that she's wrong and I'm right, this marriage would be a lot better. Or if what somebody said in an elder meeting that I disagree with, if they could, if I could just talk to them and convince them that they're wrong and I'm right, everything would go better. What I'm saying is this is that I want to be the Lord of the universe. Is that What I'm saying is this, is that the gospel does not work. Jesus being completely in charge of all things, Jesus completely being in charge of those cameras being on the bus, Jesus completely being in charge of the wife that he gave me and the husband that he gave her, Jesus completely being in charge of the elders that he's chosen for this church, 
Jesus completely being in charge if my Wi-Fi is slow, or if the line in the drive-thru is long, or if I just got diagnosed with cancer. That doesn't work. I don't want Jesus to be in charge with me. You see what Paul is doing? He's saying this, that if you live a life where you don't grumble or complain, you will be a foreigner. You will be a weirdo. You will not, that's not natural. People will look at you and they'll be like, what's wrong with that guy? Everything is going wrong in our lives and she's just fine with it. You will be an outcast in some ways. You'll be not normal. But what you will be is you'll be pointing to a higher authority. You'll be pointing to a Lord, a real Lord of the universe, who because he died and rose from the dead, rules over all things and is in charge of every single thing and that you're completely at peace and comfort with it. You will be a weirdo, but you will be a light in this crooked and perverse generation. Amen.